It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Movie Jumps, episode 16, Knives Out. Let's get after it. When people get desperate, the knives come out. This is a twisted web. And we are not finished untangling it. Not yet. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. There is one guilty party behind it all. You know something. Spill it. Oh, my God. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. I think you have something you want to tell me. A throwback murder mystery and a little redemption for our boy Ryan Johnson. It's the Knives Out edition of Movie Jumps. Luke Mayo here, Corey Cook, back in the hot seat. Uh, First off, a happy Father's Day is in order. Thank you. Thank you, you as well. Um, no, I was referring I to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a father too. That's right. Care. I it's forgot really about that. What happened on Sunday for you? No. Yeah. I, oh, I had a great Father's Day. It was very nice. Um, relaxing? Went up, yeah. Re- relaxing. Went out, had breakfast. Uh, son got me a gigantic, I'll show it to you. This thing's huge. Best dad ever uh, mug. This is like the size of nice. my head. So I have enough <laughs> coffee to last me until the end of time. You're going to be um, all hopped up for this pod. I, Hopefully that's filled with coffee right now. It was an interesting weekend because not only was it Father's Day, it was also my anniversary too. So oh! Was, and wife got me this, got me a Fitbit. Nice, man. You know, I'm starting to eat. To, I started, actually really started to eat a lot healthier this this week. I'm down a half a pound of fudge for just, breakfast now. Just one so, garbage plate this week. <laughs> yeah, just, just one garbage plate. This Are week. you doing like the 10,000 steps thing? Uh, it's I'm tr- I'm trying to, but it's almost impossible with what I've been doing for my work. You know, I'm down here all day long with training and stuff. Right. So it's hard to get it done. I'm trying, and then I working out. I usually try to do it at night, but it sucks because sometimes like I'll get working out and then I can't get sleep because I'm working out late. That's why I want these freaking gyms to open back up. <laughs> and it looks like uh, they're not going to open back up after no. uh, the 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 latest Cuomo announcement, which kind of yep. stinks. Yeah. And no movie theaters for now, which we were just talking about before uh, hitting the record button, where I feel like theaters could probably do a good job of keeping everybody safe and socially distanced, but apparently the powers that be don't don't think so. I mean, to be fair, I think this will be reevaluated within another couple weeks or so, and, you know, it'll come, it'll happen soon, sooner rather than later. Um, but it is a little disappointing because both those things were supposed to open up in phase four and phase four is happening. Just not without those. So that's the bad news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. We've got five questions as always. And it's your turn this week, Mr. Cook. It is indeed, sir. So I will take it away. I'm nervous. First question. (laughs) Yeah. I sent you one earlier by text that I was just joking around. It was one of those, uh, uh, bang murder, Mary ones with like, uh, (laughs) Miss Marple, uh, Hercule Perot, and Sherlock Holmes, but I was just joking. That's not really a question. And the answer Good, is obviously. I, 
bang curriculum pro so absolutely <laughs> no, first question person you'd rather have a beer with sherlock holmes hercule Poirot, poro or benoit blanc that was easy once you got to Poirot, because we're big Poirot fans in this household my wife has read every literally every agatha christie book and yeah. she loved knives out because of those books heavily and influenced and yeah and she's usually like pretty good at like kind of solving these type of things and even she was like this was superbly well written it is and really executed we'll which that. we'll get into yeah oh uh, that's yep. tough i love blanc uh aka foghorn leghorn which i love <laughs> how they like use that in the in the film because i was line. thinking that the whole time right i gotta go paro just because uh he's a legend in this household uh i'm gonna go with benoit blanc uh only because sherlock holmes feels like a cold fish i don't know if he'd really be into it he's kind of a um, dick Hercule Perot, I really don't know enough about him to like make a, a, an accurate judgment because I've honestly, and I've really got to get on this. I've never read an Agatha Christie novel. Um, so, but I, so I got to go with Benoit Blanc. He just seems like a cool dude to, to have a beer with. That's win-win. Absolutely. It is a win-win. Probably bring some good cigars too. Uh, second <laughs> question. Would you rather live in the house from Clue or the Thromby estate from Knives Out? I like all the trap doors from the Clue house. Mm -hmm. I gotta go. I gotta go to the Thromby home, but man, that's another win-win. I would go with the Thromby home as well, just because it doesn't seem quite so remote in the middle of nowhere as maybe yes. Clue does. The Thromby house seems like it's maybe you know it, it's you know a, you know the, maybe the closest neighbor's like four or five miles away, but you're maybe a couple of miles from town. It's not too bad. Um, and I just like the the decor, the setup on the outside, and Ditto. how it looks on, on the inside. And there's a couple trick things in there with the, you know the the hidden windows and things like that, and kind of the the store the the um, door that leads to his kind of office up above. With yeah, Christopher Plummer's cat. little like hideaway. That was kind of that was yeah. cozy. So yeah, I love that. that's I another reason. That. I'm Ditto. like I need that in my house. I not well at first. I need the house, then I need that room. So, but that's what I do. I do the <laughs> baby steps as well, which I always I thought it was hilarious that. Somebody in the movie mentioned, you know, our fam, our something like our family home or traditional family. I can't remember how he put it. He's like, he, he's like, your dad brought this from a billionaire Pakistani in the eighties. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah, I just love that. Uh, third question: underrated, most underrated Christopher Plummer performance. You better not say "Sound of Music." Either. I'm gonna go. I'm trying to think of some of his, I'm uh, going through some of his movies. You know, I might say, oh, that's right. All the money in the world. I heard he was pretty decent in there. You know, I don't, I don't know his, um, I don't have a lot of experience with his, with his resume. I might have to say this because I had actually on the rewatch, I had forgotten that he was in it, even though he's like kind of the main, the central figure. I had kind of like written him off. You know, I was more looking forward to seeing Daniel Craig and, Mr. Evans and Jamie Lee Curtis again in there. Totally. For, I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with yep. that knives out. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, he's only in, I, I, that's a good choice. He's only in a couple scenes, but those scenes are very powerful. We'll get to that. Um, I would say my, my, I would put in two. Um, I think the, the most underrated one he's ever done is uh, general Chang from star Trek six, the undiscovered country. I should have known you'd go star Trek. Out. He made a great Klingon, and also his role as, um, uh, I think his name was Reverend Worley in um, uh, Dragnet with uh, Dan Aykroyd and um, Tom Hanks. Uh, I know my dad would go, uh, The Man Who Would Be King. That's one of his 
favorites. Yeah, I might go with that one now that I think about it. That's right. He played uh, Rudyard Kipling, the author. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Man Who Would Be King. Okay. I'm, I'm changing choice. my answer. Yeah, it's so, weird. He's one of those, like, well, he might be the most well-known actor who people know the least about in terms of his, like, movie resume. Right? Because you think Sound of Music right away. And then there's that hesitation when, you, when you're asked to name, you know, movies two, three, and four, which pretty much I just did. He's, uh, I mean, he's been in some bangers. His career is great. I mean, it's going back, I think, to the 50s. So it's yeah. you know, a really long, long one. Um, question four, wish list, wish list choice. Would you rather have had a small role in Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi or a major role in Ryan Johnson's Knives Out? Excellent question. I got to go. I got to go Last Jedi. Okay. Just to say I was uh, in a Star Wars film. I got to do that too. I mean, it's one of my favorite franchises. I can't sit here and say, oh, no, I got to go with Star Wars in that one. And final question. Murder <laughs> mystery parties. Ooh. Dinner parties. Ridiculously stupid or ridiculously awesome? I've never been to one. I got to go ridiculously awesome. Because I think it would actually be fun. It's one of those things you see a lot. But how many people do you know that actually have gone to them? And have you gone to one? I have not. I've never want, one, been to one before. I've always wanted to. I think it would be good. I've never been, uh, as much as I read, I, I haven't really, the, the, mystery, um, uh, the mystery genre, it's not like it doesn't do it for me. It's just that I haven't read a lot of them. Right. Um, but I think it would be really fun, you know, have some good food, some good drinks, find out who killed the butler or whatever, and go from there i bet you it'd be fun especially with all the acting and all the uh, the improv that would be that would be a nice little uh that would add a little flavor to the dinner hey i got a question i gotta throw at you that i was thinking about when i was all right when i was watching this all right so would you rather have the knives out chair in your man cave or the game of thrones swords throne in your man cave you got we all have like the same brain because I almost asked that question. I straight up almost wrote that. I thought down. you were gonna ask it at one point and then you I, you switched gears. I, I think I was going to ask it, then forgot it, and then forgot to write down. I would rather have the Game of Thrones chair. Yeah. Yep. More more of a more of a talking a conversation piece, right? Yeah, plus I think people might recognize that a little bit more. They'd be yeah. like, Oh, it's the Iron Throne. Not that it'd be like, oh, the, the knife seat from Knives Out. I forget, did they explain it? Or is it just, it's like supposed to be from one of his move, his books, right? That's kind um, of the I impression believe, I got. Yeah, because, I mean, the whole the whole house is, is peppered with a lot of his, you know, kind of memorabilia or things yeah. that are, are evoke or, or are connected to his series of, of novels. They never really explained it. I just figured it was, you know, connected to one of his, his novels. All right, so you watched this for the first time over the last I week. Indeed. I saw it at the theater. Give me your initial impressions because you threw me a text saying how much fun it was. Let it all out, my man. I freaking love this movie. This movie was so great. I'm you didn't so want it to end, right? I did not want it to end. I was so I, – I was one of those ones like, man, I can't believe I slept on this one and didn't see it in the theater. You know, the more I think about it, the script on this thing is brilliant. It's air friggin' tight. And not only that is it's impeccably shot. The acting is out of this world. The cast is phenomenal. The socio-political um, subtext. Oh man, uh, is, is a lot great. of lot of little but, dingers in there. A but lot. Doesn't be, but isn't pedantic. Doesn't beat you over the head. But is very relevant. This is a a, a very a, a very socially 
conscious film masquerading as one hell of a good time at the movies. It's one of those things. This is why we go, I hate that old expression. This is why we go to the theater, but this is why we watch movies. I, I, I was just, I was had a, the biggest grin on my face when I was done with this movie. And honestly, if I had seen this in, you know, um, before I made up my list of the best films of 2019, way earlier in this year, um, this would probably have been my number one. This it, was, it, I, this was pure pleasure. It Just was so pure much pleasure. I remember getting out of the theater and my wife and I were like almost high-fiving and she's picky with what she sees at the theater. Mm -hmm. I'm not so much uh, <laughs> as, as you've probably grown <laughs> to learn. Comfort. <laughs> but no, this is one of those ones we, and I hyped it up. I was like, honey, this is right in your wheelhouse. Cause again, she's a huge agate. Put it this way for her birthday or for something. I don't know if it was for Christmas or birthday. I got her like the complete move, like the Poirot, every movie of Poirot. In like one of those like case things where it's like 50 movies it took her like right. a year to watch like all of them. So I knew I could get her the into the theater. On... Mysteries. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I knew I could get her into the theater with this one. So I hyped right. it up and I was like, Ooh, if this, if this flops, I'm going to look like a schmuck on oh. this one. And man, we yeah. were like, Oh, like I said, we were almost high fiving after it. I was like, I think I said something along the lines of, and it's super corny, but now that's a freaking movie. This is why you go to the theater. Pretty much like what you just said. It was just so much fun. I loved hanging out with all these different characters. I feel like everybody brought their A game. Even like just Jamie Lee Curtis alone was incredible. Yeah. And then everybody else added their own little, little uh, you know, twists and turns. Nobody crapped the bed. The only mm -hmm. one who I thought was just kind of like, eh, like you could have plugged in my dog or your son or this rock I'm holding up here. Um, <laughs> Was the uh, was the neo Nazi kid? I was I mean, going to say he kind of had to be dry. Yeah, Jaden uh, Martell, who I love as an actor because he was fantastic as Big Bill in uh, the It movie that came out a couple years ago. Um, and I hear I hear he's he's great in this other little horror film that came out last year called The Lodge, uh, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, but yeah, his character was that's the only thing you could have put you could have plugged anyone in there. I mean, he was he was pretty much there to. Uh, his main plot point was the fact that he was in the bathroom and overheard Ransom and, and Harlan. <laughs> arguing and shouting a couple things which by the way we should probably announce this right off the bat guys this is going to be a very spoiler heavy podcast so if you oh, have yeah. not seen knives out please stop this podcast go watch it then come back and listen i mean spoiler alert boom and i hate to say it but this is probably one of the films one of the few films that i can think of offhand where even if we do spoil it for you and we tell you and you're going to find out who killed who or if anybody was killed at all, uh, yep. it's still worth watching. And it would still be like, it's one of those movies, even though you know everything about it, you still got to see it to really get that magic. And I, it's the, one of those ones that I felt like after I watched it, I, I feel like I could watch this movie 10 times and pick up something new every single time. That's why pick I think up, it's going to hold up. Yeah. Because the I layers. Mean, yes. Uh, they just the, the little, there's so many little beats in this, you know, whether it's Benoit Blanc, like, hitting the piano you know, the keys on the piano yes. which i felt like he, i i have to go back and watch it again but i felt like every time he hit a piano key that was somebody saying a lie at least that's what i took away from and it. they were recording it so i wonder if maybe that was and they didn't really explain why he hit the keys but i wonder if yep. because the what's his name how do you pronounce his name lakeith lakeith stanfield yeah uh who played it straight but he played it yeah. straight in a kind of an impeccable way oh, um yeah. But I wonder if that's why he hit those keys. Like you said, it was a lie. Was it supposed to throw off the interviewee? 
And then it maybe also be. signal to himself later on that, hey, this is something to be aware of. Uh, it could be because he's a, you know, Benoit Blanc is a master private investigator. Maybe he was just kind of composing that in his head. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but, or even like the part where, what the heck is his name? Uh, Michael Shannon, Walt's character, where with the one with the cane, where he conf confronts um, uh, Marta, Anna de Armas, and they, there's that there's that cut between the, they keep cutting between him saying something and punctuating his words with his cane as he smacks it into the. There are so many just beautiful little things in this movie that I just it you're, it's like you said I felt like high fiving someone when I was done. The difficulty. It's not only just writing this kind of like knot of a plot. I think it's actually making it work on screen. Ryan Johnson, responsible for both. I don't care what you thought of The Last Jedi. He totally redeemed himself in this film. Am I wrong on this? Not at all. I mean, and I'm a fan of The Last Jedi. And, but and I, I am too, so I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say redeem himself. But if you were hating on The Last Jedi, this yeah. is like, this totally makes up for it. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but if, I mean, I can, you know, there's some people that come up, came away from the last Jedi and were like, this was a horrible script. Ryan Johnson was terrible at writing this. If you come away from Knives Out thinking Ryan Johnson is a terrible screenwriter, you're an absolute moron because this, this script is airtight. It's like almost, I, I, there's like no holes in this thing. I am just blown away by how, how good it is. I mean, he was developing this thing back as, as far as 2005, started to write it a little more after, um, Looper came out in 2012, but then he got obviously the opportunity to go with uh, Star or Star Wars: um, The Last Jedi. Uh, but this is just so well crafted. I mean, you don't see, you don't see this kind of movie anymore. For one, uh, you don't see this kind of uh, whodunit. It just is kind of has fallen out of favor for the most part. But he makes it exciting. He makes it entertaining. He makes it relevant um, from top to bottom. It's just so good. And it wasn't. There was supposed to be another Poirot starring Kenneth Branagh that was supposed to be coming out last this past year, and all of a sudden it just like disappeared. They moved it ahead. We I remember like googling it, couldn't figure out why. I wonder if it had something to do with Knives Out and maybe kind of like the maybe the scuttlebutt in Hollywood and how good it was. And I wonder if maybe you know the studios were like, look at why don't we move this film to another season. Yeah, from what I understand, Death on the Nile, which is supposed to be the Correct. next one, uh, I believe... It was, uh, supposed, was supposed to come, to come out this past summer. Fall. This coming fall. This past summer, well, obviously everything's upside upside down right now. Um, right. With this. So, but, yeah, and this could, you know, who knows? I mean, this might harbor in a new generation of whodunits again, which wouldn't be too bad. Especially with this sequel in the works here. Hey, I got to throw this question out. Where do you stand on Daniel Craig's accent? The whole Bayou. Uh, you know, I'm going to defend it, but I understand the the blowback. I I think it's good. I I enjoyed it. He's done a Southern accent before. I forget what the the I forget what movie it was. The that came out a couple years ago where he did that. And he's actually done it a couple times. I think <laughs> Quantum Solace was bit the film. Hammy. It, <laughs> Yeah, that was it. No, it's a little bit hammy. It's a little bit like Foghorn Leghorn, as, as Chris Evans' ransom says to him in, in this. But it's also kind of like smooth bourbon, isn't it? You just kind of get wrapped up in the rhythm and the cadence of this man's accent. And I'll tell you right now, it's kind of the, one of the endearing charms about his character. I could watch a television show on Benoit Blanc. And, and I'm, I'm so glad he's going to be the, the centerpiece of the sequel. Yes! 
yes, he's the focus. They're writing another one with him in it. You know, the thrombies aren't going to be a part of it. Um, but I'm just like, man, dude, I could watch, I could watch a TV series with this guy. I could watch, you know, f I hope they, I hope they do five or six movies. If they're we as well written as this, oh, they're going to be a treat. By Give the way, me Death an hour. Nile. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Death on the Nile still scheduled to come out this year, October 9th. Okay. So that date hasn't changed. Because, yeah, we had actually, and my wife had actually marked it down on some calendar that, that it was supposed to come out this past summer. Um, and I wonder, or maybe it was this past holiday season, and then all of a sudden we found nothing about it. And we thought, well, I wonder if it was worried about going head-to-head -head with Knives Out, which I could see. You know, audiences can be fickle. They can confuse some movies, and uh, that could cause a little confusion at the box office. So my theory is on accents, because my wife wasn't a fan. And I'm going to keep bringing her up because she's such a fan of this movie as well. I actually asked her if she wanted to join us for a little murder mystery chat, but she was, she, she, was, no? little, she was a little nervous, but I'm going to try to con her no. into another one. Uh, Cause this would have been right. This is right in her wheelhouse, but she was saying that she thought it sounded, she agrees pretty much with you. She liked it, but it was also a little hammy at times. I wonder if that's a, your, your opinion on this is impacted by whether or not you've heard him speak his normal dialect in another movie you know it could be i think that's a, a personal stance from person you know uh, you know if somebody is knows him only as james bond or some of the other films that he's done where he's obviously has an english accent because he is from england um that may influence it uh i didn't really it's, to me it didn't it didn't bother me too much maybe it's because i'd heard about people's complaints about it already and maybe the expectation sometimes that can it, it, influence it, it really, but the other thing that you I think that needs to be kept in mind here um, is the fact that this movie is also heavily influenced, not just by classics like Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile, but uh, comedy uh, murder mysteries too. stuff like things like Murder by Death, um, trying to think what else. Uh, Clue. Eyes, Clue, you know, those, so there's got there's going to be that humorous kind of, of aspect to it. Um, because this is this is I mean this isn't just a I mean it is a murder mystery but there's definitely a lot of elements of comedy in here too for sure. And Last Jedi really introduced us to Ryan Johnson's comedy side, much to the chagrin of many fans, including myself, who thought there were some scenes that I thought they probably could have ditched or didn't really fit into the Star Wars universe as we knew it. Uh, the mm -hmm. first example that comes to my mind is. Of course, Luke throwing the lightsaber over his head, which yeah. was funny at first, but then when you on the rewatch, it's kind of it kind of ruins the end of uh, the film before. But I thought every it seemed like every like forty seconds, Ryan Johnson was tossing in a joke here, even if it was just like a little quip from you know someone in the background or uh, Lakeith's like assistant detective there he yes. was terrific by the way just the oh, little yeah. references to hamilton or how he was like such a uh he was like chris farley in the saturday night live skit where he's the fan of everyone right he's like hey remember yes. that remember that one time you did the movie with uh patrick swayze yeah that was fun yeah, like, he was, seemed that, like the, he was like the super fan he was like the fanboy. it almost feels like you had to have that kind of character in this <laughs> right. it's also so weird to me that he's a state trooper but he's like dressed in a full-blown suit I guess yeah. I, guess, I always thought I thought that was kind of odd, but yeah, every it seems like every two minutes or so there is some type of there's so many quips and barbs in this that are so cutting and funny that I can't even remember them all in my head, and that's why almost this movie kind of begs uh, repeat viewings because of that. But what I like about it is too is kind of 
you know, there, we'll talk more about the socio-political aspect of thing, but every, he, it's no holds barred in this movie, when it, whether it's like, you know, ultimate so, so, social justice warriors, peoples, uh, people, or fall, fall far-right alt-ring nut jobs. Everybody gets it in the in this movie, whether it's, you know, it's it's some of the, you know, the, the people who are being condescending towards Marta because she's quote unquote the help. And they start talking about Im- immigration and, and coming here to relating that back to, you know, the current presidency, whatever, or that one line. I can't remember what um, uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis said, but some, some reference to her niece's social justice warrior post-progressive <laughs> doctorate whatever degree that she was trying to get and how useless that was going to be and the people who who are supposedly liberal in this movie are also liberal when it suits their purpose because i think it's very clear for the most part most of the thromby clan is not you know they're not really too much to be admired about them they have their own kind of vices and they're very self-centered and selfish and um they have a specific view on the world that isn't necessarily uh, uh, positive. <laughs> One of my biggest takeaways, you hated all the characters, but you enjoyed them. Like I wanted more of them. I noticed on the rewatch, the second half of the film, they kind of fade to the background as thing. Well, I shouldn't say the, the, the second half of the film, probably the final third of the film. They kind of fade into the background as things focus in on uh, Marta and Ransom and kind of where they're going together. Uh, and you kind of miss, like, you, th- you think, okay, Tony Collette and Michael Shannon and Jamie Lee Curtis, who was terrific. You wanted a little bit more of them. And that, like you said, that's going to, I think that's going to spawn a lot of rewatches for this because we've talked about it before. Dialogue is such a big thing. And when you have great characters matched with great dialogue, like, you want to watch it again and again. I mean, think movies like A Few Good Men and, you know, even Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids, such well-written films that we keep going back to because we love hanging out with these characters and we get a kick out of what they're saying, let's be honest. This is the this Thromby family, yeah. with the exception of probably Harlan, and I would say Meg as well, because I do kind of, I actually, Meg is maybe the most... Um, She's the one from 13 yeah, Reasons Why, right? Yes, she's probably the most sympathetic of the ones. She's the one that's actually kind of friends with Marta. Yeah, she looks out for her. Yeah, we liked her. I I felt like when she actually kind of called Marta, um, and I don't want to, was trying to like, I don't want to say trick her or get the the goods on what she was going to do when it was revealed that that Harlan basically left her the the entire fortune. I felt like she was kind of pressured into that. And then I feel like she does, she does have a good heart, Meg does, but she's kind of a little unduly influenced by uh, the rest of her family, but and, and it felt your, like she wanted the funding too, but maybe yeah. at the same time she also wanted to see that Marta was, you know, kind of on the right path. Yeah, I, I agree too. I mean, I think she she was kind of if if any of the Thrombies was rooting for, her, I think it was 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 Meg. Um, but I think to, to your point, this is this the the cast and the people's uh, everyone's little parts in this. It's almost like a perfectly perfectly balanced like twelve course meal, where every, you're, you've just got enough portion size for every single person, and the meat and potatoes, which is basically Ransom, Marta, and Benoit Blanc, is where the 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 focus finally you know kind of culminates on and where it's supposed to be. Uh, so that that's kind of how I see it. Not a traditional murder mystery. One person didn't. It's not a matter of here's a victim, who's the murderer. Let's try to solve it. 
I like the fact that they did that. That was very kind of uh, Agatha Christie-esque, or there's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's not kind of paint by numbers at all. And the fact that they reveal what happened like 30 minutes into the movie is also its own kind of twist, where you're not waiting for that final 10 minutes before you figured out what exactly happened. I mean, yes, the details, more of the details, you know, were revealed later on, especially with Ransom. But in terms of like, okay, did somebody stab this guy? Did somebody slit his throat? No, we knew kind of pretty quick off the bat here. Yeah, I, I, I think that is, if you think about it, is one of the most ingenious things about this murder mystery, this whodunit film, in a, in a situation where I don't know if, if this has ever been done like this before where within 20 to tw- I think 20 to 30 minutes of the film I mean obviously we know at the beginning there's been a death in the family uh, we we know going into the movie that there's going to be a suspicion of murder but 25 minutes in you suddenly find out what well what we think pretty much happened or you know obviously things get revealed towards the end that kind of add some layers of nuance but 25 minutes in you find that Marta, uh, Anna de Armas' character, who plays uh, Harlan Thrombey's uh, nurse in this, su- supposedly accidentally gives him uh, an overdose of morphine that she accidentally maybe had switched, um, mistaken the vials, and that his, his act right then, just to show how selfless and incredible this guy is, his first thought is to, to you know, protect her. He's like... You know, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, you know, you're going to leave as quickly as possible. You're going to draw attention to what time it is. You're going to come back. You're going to dress in my clothes. You're going to make it look like I've gone down the stairs and, you know, have have had a snack. Meanwhile, he goes and, and slits his throat, his own throat, to make it look like it was a suicide because all he was thinking about in that moment is kind of protecting her because even though she's in the country illegally, her her mom, who's been in the country for years, is not. So he's, you know, his first concern uh, is about that. But yeah, you you find out almost immediately that yeah, that Anna de Armas was res- was, well, it turns out not responsible for this. But we'll get to that. Um, that that she was supposedly the murderer, even though it wasn't obviously by intent or anything like that. And then everything kind of spins or spirals from there. And then when to come to find out that Harlan basically left sixty million dollars, the house, the publishing company, everything to her. I mean, that just kind of complicates things even more. One error, one thing that really I noticed with, not an error, but a little nitpick, if you will, with Harlan's plot was his idea of Marta coming downstairs and him saying, okay, Michael Shannon will be on the porch, he'll be smoking, and he'll see you. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily bound to happen. Like, he made it as if it was a must, like it was definitely going to happen. It's kind of a small pick, but I remember thinking, like, no, she, like, she could have walked. You would have to get his attention somehow. I don't, I don't know so if he that, would necessarily be looking in the house. I know that's just a very small thing. That's probably like the smallest thing that I really, yep. that the only really bone I have to pick with this film was just that little small touch. I thought they should have thrown like a simple line in, like, look, if he doesn't see you, make some noise or knock on the door and walk away and wave. So Michael Shannon thinks that was. Harlan. I don't know. Something about that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I could see that because, you know, you, you don't, I mean, is the expectation that he's actually going to be there, you know, when, uh, when she walks down there. But at the same time, I kind of took that as Harlan knows his children so well that he can almost, he can read them like a book. And it's pretty right. clear with every encounter that he has uh, in this movie, whether it's 
you know, his encounter with Walt, who keeps insisting on, you know, on having him sign away the, the rights to his book so that they can be adapted into Netflix, you know, and then telling him, hey, I, I never gave the opportunity to rise on your own. So I'm taking, you know, I'm taking the, uh, um, the publishing company away from you. You know, the, that line in, in, the, in the trailer says, you know, or in the movie where it says Harlan is cleaning house. He really was. He's trying to get, he was, he's kind of going Warren Buffett on his family. So he basically, you know, I'm not going to leave you guys anything. You're, you're here to kind of flourish on your own. He's, he's the one, I uh, forget, uh, Tony Collette's character there. Um, Joni, she, he, he cuts her off because she's been double dipping with the allowance he's been giving her. Um, you know, he's, he tells uh, Don Johnson's character, that he's going to tell um, uh, his daughter about his, his affair. You know, he was basically, everything was, was kind of tying things up there. One of my favorite little lines was from Tony Collette when, you know, she, she points out that Daniel Craig is in the background. She's like, what's this guy doing there? And you as the viewer are kind of wondering that too, right? Cause yeah. they show Daniel Craig in the background, but they don't focus in on him. So you're not really like, you notice he's there, but you're not, they haven't introduced him yet. And then she says something like, oh, I read a tweet of an article about you. Yeah. And I just love that line because it's such a sign of the times. How and 2019 think, is that? <laughs> absolutely. When, when you look back in like 40, 50 years at this movie, I think lines like that are going to stand out. I think the Nazi kid on the toilet scrolling through social media is going to stand out. I think it's just kind of like a, another tip of the cap to Mr. Johnson that he's just kind of got his, his pulse on what the hell is going on in this country politically yeah. and in terms of technology and what a great dig on our modern culture and how spoiled we are and how, how <laughs> little effort we want to make in doing research on things <laughs> that it's like, it's enough for me to know you from a tweet about an article that I didn't even read. didn't even read because yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis read the article. Remember? Yeah, she did. She Shout did. Shout out to her. She knew what was, was up. But there's so many people here now, especially on social media, who are just keyboard cowboys who are going to spout off of the mouth, don't know what the hell they're talking about, have never read a book on the subject that they suddenly are experts on. And I just think that's, that is just such a dig. And, and listen, I don't exclude myself from that category, whatever. I have shot, I have shot myself off at the mouth when I shouldn't have. We've all done it. We've all done it. But you know, some, so many people out there wear it like a badge of honor and you know, it's, it's nice to just, there's just so many undercuts in this. And that's just a perfect one uh, in that case. We got to tackle Ana de Armas here, Marta, yeah. really the star of this whole thing. Eh, maybe it's between her and uh, Mr. Blanc. Give me another mm -hmm. Blanc impression again. That was spot on. It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, what do you say here, Watson? Will you join me tomorrow in this grand endeavor? Yeah, we need to talk. I could have watched him read the freaking phone book with that yeah. accent. As yeah, goofy he, as it was at times. Why not just use an English accent, though? I keep going back to this. Like, they could have just had him, like, maybe he's like a hotshot detective in London. That would have been a... I did think that. I did think you know? that. That would that would have kind of, because he is technically a world-famous detective. Right. So that might have made sense. But I think that kind of added uh, an air to this. Because, I mean, a lot of the, you know, murder mysteries, great murder mysteries from the 20th century, have that Southern Victorian aspect to them, you know. Sure. Like, I, I do declare I have a case of the vapors after this murder. <laughs> and you know, the beauty, it's, And the beauty of these detectives is, like, you need to kind of separate them from the rest of the cast. In yes. some way, and sometimes just out. the way somebody talks is able to do I, that. Like even with Poirot, he was, I believe, Belgian 
And all those yeah. cases, a lot of those cases were like in, you know, London or Paris or whatever. So in that sense, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see that. Well, I just keep... want to bottle his voice and drink it neat in a scotch glass. Like, like it's no, just... no, 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 no. Drink it in that new coffee cup you got. Yes, exactly. That's right. But we, we got to talk about Anna de Armas because let me tell you something. Anybody out there who thinks that she is just a pretty face, and don't get me wrong, she is freaking a smoke show. She can act her ass off. She carries this film. Her character of Marta is so layered and so great. She just oozes empathy. Um, she, she generally cares about this person that she has been entrusted to for, um, you know, for Harlan for several years now that they brought into their home. And she even in some respects cares about the extended Thromby family when she has no reason to at all. When they basically treat her like dirt, they treat her like the help. They see, see her as a second class citizen at every step, not whether it's, you know, out, outright and abrupt or like subtle digs, but she just brings so much nuance and so much emotion and so much pathos. And that's, and so that's a testament theory. to her and yes. Johnson because you, they've got to convince us, the viewer, yep. that we, like, we have to like her, A. Yes. B, we have to be convinced, because that's a key part of the, of the story, we have to be absolutely convinced that she's not guilty so we can right. start, we can focus on other aspects of the plot. That's a tough thing to do. In a movie where there's a lot of unlikable characters, people that you love to hate, she is the one that stands out as the one that you are really rooting for. I mean, you are absolutely rooting for her every step of the way. You feel compassion for this person. Uh, you know, you feel that she is, is as at, at her heart a good person. She's been raised well. Um, and I just love I just love everything that she brings to this performance. And honestly, looking the more I think about it, and again, I've only seen this movie once. Um, I definitely have to see it again. I honestly would have nominated her for a best supporting actor, actress nod. I really, I really think she was that good. Even some of the elements with, and by the way, the touch, the whole touch yes. of her puking when lying, like that whole habit, yes. that is such an unbelievable element to this film. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I did not do the research on whether how the hell Ryan Johnson came up with this idea. But I just thought that was like so brilliant because, again, that goes along with the point I made just a few moments ago, where as the viewer, you have to believe the, the director, the actors, they have they need you to believe that she's innocent. That's a, such a key part of this. Mm -hmm. And that's just another element. And maybe that's why how that came about is like, look, it, we can use this to our effect. I mean, even to the point yeah. where she was in the car near the end of the film and Daniel Craig was uh, riding shotgun with her. It was like right before I believe he got in the car and she like lies to his face when he's outside the window and then she quick throws up in the cup and then yep. Craig gets in on the passenger yep. seat. I remember thinking, okay, is this now I'm starting to like overthink as the viewer. I'm thinking, okay, is this going to come back and bite her in a few minutes when maybe like Daniel Craig takes a sip of that cup, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, like I kept thinking, oh, is, is he going to like find out somehow? And then of course the huge like extra twist at the end i shouldn't say it it wasn't a huge twist but just yeah. that little uh, little extra sauce at the end where we find so out like he's you know they're recording that conversation and then she yep. throws up in his face i mean just just a freaking yeah. absolute grand slam this is this is such an interesting and well done plot device yes uh, uh, mannerism for a character 
that just works. It's so odd, such an odd choice, but it works so well. <laughs> right. And here's why, here's why it works well. This could have been easily been a grossed out humor type of situation. Um, you know, where, where it's like almost like a repeated gag, no pun intended, that just keeps coming coming back over and over again. But they never show her actually physically throwing up like anything like where you see vomit until the very end of this film. It's almost very kind of like hidden. She's trying to hide it from other from other people. Um, and again, that that kind of increases the suspense. Like, is she going to be caught in in her lies? But it's so that is so it's such a perfect um, build up to this where at the end when because you know we find out that ransom basically this this whole time had tried to be been orchestrating everything to you know he he burns down the building where all the blood samples are because he's the one that actually had switched the stickers um for uh uh her, the the med the medication that she was injecting he ends up actually uh killing um i forget what her her name was the the kind of the the house housekeeper there and then you know, she gets, she, she gets the, you know, she gets rushed, you know, Anna de Armas finds her in that room. They, they sent her to the hospital and then she, you know, she's fighting for her life. She gets the call while they're interrogating Ransom and she says, oh, okay, yep, she made it good. And, you know, to say that basically right now, hey, it's going to prove out that you, you know, you tried to attempted murder on this person. And then he confesses to the whole thing. And then he, she like a baller just throws up right in his face and i was and, like yes and a little mis him. and a little misdirection too you almost for you forget the whole puking plot device mm -hmm. so you're not even thinking like oh is she telling the truth there was she lying you're just kind yeah. of of course you believe her because you like her and you've trusted her throughout the last two hours so when she mm -hmm. does up chuck you're totally thrown off and i think that works uh that works really well there's one there was one part too where they're on the porch. It's her, Blanc, Lakeith Stanfield, and Stanfield's partner. And at one yep. point, she gets up like to throw up. And what I thought was super realistic is Lakeith's kind of playing it straight here, right? He's been playing Bud Abbott this whole time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he kind of gets up and he's like, oh, shit. Like, even he yeah. seemed like surprised it's like, uh, that this was actually happen. a thing. Right. Like, he yeah. was thrown off. I really enjoyed that little 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 touch there i love their their two little characters there uh you know noah segan uh playing trooper trooper wagner noah segan is, is playing uh, detective uh, elliot there they, they kind of played off each other nice and it was so funny because you know the keith stanfield's character doesn't seem like he was in the murder mysteries much or the, it's like i never read anything by this guy pretty much but the other guy's such such a fanboy um but they you know they're they're Keith Stanfield's character much different than the character he had in Uncut Gems. That's for damn sure. But that guy's a force. He's a good actor, um, you know, hands down. But it's it's so it's amazing to me how intricate this this plot is, with the fact that Ransom basically intended to make it look like Marta killed um, Harlan in the first place, and then he never you know he never expected the fact that what happened would happen, you know, and Harlan slitting his own throat. And the way that Daniel Craig's character of Benoit Blanc kind of breaks things down at the end, where it's a voiceover cutting back and forth between what actually And he's happened. rolling up the sleeves yeah, and he's, taking he's off the thrown jacket. away. Ah, oh, brilliant. It's very, much, it's very much a clue ending in that point in terms of like how things were shot, how things were edited together. Um, and it just comes together so great. There is one point that, and I'm curious because this was your first watch, at one point, I did think that maybe Ana de Armas was bad, Marta, and that was when it was right after the will reading. 
and the family's kind of mobbing her outside the home. And Chris Evans pulls mm -hmm. up, she gets in the car, they drive off, and then it cuts to them inside the restaurant. At one point, they're just mm -hmm. sitting there. And I remember thinking, oh, crap, were they somehow in on this together? For like a moment. For a moment, I thought maybe, oh, my, she was a villain or she was villainous. And they just threw everything for a loop. But then when you hear their conversation, you hear what Evans is kind of trying to pull, throwing a little finesse in there. Then you realize that, okay, she's still, uh, she's still the good guy. She's still the one we're, we're kind of rooting for. And we talked about it before. It's one thing to write a plot like this. That alone is extremely difficult. But then to like just execute everything. It's so well executed, this film. Like, I'm really disappointed for the people that kind of just shrug this movie off and say, yeah, yeah, Murder Mystery, I liked Clue, and I'll give it a shot one of these days. No, give it a shot now. Watch it yesterday. Yeah, yeah seriously. You're, but you hit the nail on the head. It's one thing to write this stuff. It's another thing to ha have proper execution. It's got to work. It's got to work, and on not only that, the people that your your cast of characters, your actors, have to buy into this. They have to believe that this this is something that that could potentially happen. Because I think this is why this movie rings true and is so entertaining, is because you could actually see something like this happening. Yes, it's the movies; it's a little far fetched, but there's enough logic and reason and connection there that you can understand it, build off it. It's it's entertaining from that aspect. But I never, to your point. Maybe it's just the, how good and empathetic and relatable Anna de Armas' character of Marta had become is that it never even entered my head that she might be double-crossing them or that she might be evil. I, I felt very early on that she was, aside from Harlan, uh, one of the good souls, so to speak, in this, this, entire, uh, this entire movie. Yeah, and that was the only time for, again, for maybe like a few moments, maybe like 15 seconds, I thought, oh, is she in on this? And then you realize right. from the conversation. You know, it's, I, I find rather fascinating is uh, Harlan, such a good guy, right? We all like him. He couldn't, like, pop out one respectable child in all of this. <laughs> like, well, geez. maybe it was Neil who died. Maybe it was Neil who died. Yeah, who knows? true. That's his, you know, jo Joni's uh, or Tony Collette's character of Joni that was her her husband who passed away. Um, yeah. And, but the other, and here's what's weird. And maybe this is just my mind thinking too. I was like, man, why, how do you not sell the rights to your books? You yeah. Know? I, I mean, thought I, that too. Yep. I just, you know, I don't, I don't get that because I guess it's the money thing and he already had enough money and maybe he just wasn't in the television movies and, you know, certain writers are very proprietary to their, to their novels and, and don't want to have any adaptations. I mean, um, who, what's his, um, uh, uh, shoot, the classic novel Catcher in the Rye. What's his name there? The oh, J.D. Salinger. He, he he like had it in his will and stuff. He doesn't ever want any adaptations of his books and anything like that. That was the one thing that just kind of got. I was like, why do you? That just felt so so old man shaking his fist at a cloud type thing. But I kind of get it at the same time. But yeah, his his his. It, it's almost a demonstration of his children are moochers. They've never right. really done anything for themselves. I mean, even Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Linda took a million dollar loan from her father to, uh, you know, start her real estate business. I mean, she's obviously a mogul in her own, but that's how she she got her start. Um, and everything just kind of is, is 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 given and expected. There's this almost um, the the idea of being owed something just because right. you are who you are. You come from uh, the family that you come from. 
And one of the things that, you know, my parents taught me early on was this world doesn't owe you anything. You know, you got to earn your keep and, you know, get what you get. But uh, that's, you know, again, that's playing into more of the, the socioeconomic uh, dynamics of, of this movie, which aren't overt, but the message is definitely there. And Jamie Lee Curtis, very, very likable in this, despite, uh, you know, despite what you just talked about in terms of these characters needing to be owed something. Um, mm -hmm. But even that little, that touch near the end, where she, um, she gets the letter. Yeah, she gets the letter. That was kind of like a, all right, screw Don Johnson. We're gonna we're gonna help uh, Jamie Lee Curtis out a little bit, and the look on her face, and you know yeah. that nice little with the like the, what is it the disappearing ink, right? Like the magic ink. Well, well, that's the thing that's great, isn't it? Is about how everything in the script ties together so well. Very early on in. The movie she throws you know she drops a throwaway line it's like you know dad always enjoyed his games and if you could play his games correctly you know that was kind of your in to having a relationship with him you know and her her husband there uh richard uh, don johnson's character you know finds this note because he had threatened you know the a couple of the nights before the night that he was he killed himself or was murdered um he had said i'm if you don't tell him i will and had written a letter he finds that letter and it's supposedly blank but that whole idea of playing games doesn't come back until the end when she's smoking a cigarette and she impurposely puts the uh, the the lighter behind the, the the note to reveal the hidden ink. So obviously it's something that she'd done before, and you see that just crestfallen look on her face that he's he was uh, uh, you know had been cheating on her. And I felt definitely felt some empathy for her in that case. And I love how in like the next scene you see, see Don Johnson with a giant shiner, <laughs> it, but. There's like a big, there's a black eye on his right oh, eye. Oh no, so I don't remember that. Did he? It, it, yeah, it's implied that she duked him in the face. Um, so I noticed that. I kept thinking that the baseball was going to have some kind of yeah. magic role. They kept showing it. They showed it a lot. It a lot a red of times. Um, I think it was a red herring, but I agree with you there. I keep thinking that there was Blanc be picked it up a lot. Yeah. Didn't he? Th he throw it for the dog like a couple times. Did I he think throw so, that for yeah. the dog? And then they I showed it a few times on the desk. I kept, we kept thinking that my wife and I kept thinking maybe there was like some kind of recording device in there. And then all of a sudden they were going to pop it open, but no, nah, it's just like a simple baseball. But yeah, I enjoyed that. Uh, what did you think of, you know, the more and more I think about these characters, I don't know if I, yes, they were unlikable. I actually, but I enjoyed being around them. I don't know if it was like yeah. one of those you love to hate them type of things, but the more I think about it and reflect on it now, yes, I we, look at none of us wanted them to get any piece of this pie, right? Like we don't want, mm. we didn't want them to get the money, but at the same time, I do feel I'm just a in general empathetic person. So I, I did feel some empathy for everybody. Um, and I like how they didn't make, they didn't make anybody too cartoonish in terms of their, political beliefs even don johnson who was essentially defending the wall on the border yeah right like it, he wasn't being racist in what he was saying he was simply and again i don't agree with the wall but yeah. basically he was just saying that like look i'm for anybody getting in the country you just got to do it the right way i mean that's not so, i mean he could have easily like times from other people too right like he could have easily stuck it to you know kind of the anti-immigration crowd ryan johnson but he didn't and I thought he kind of played that one. That was kind of, I thought that was respectable. Like he could have really just shit on that other side of the, on the other side of that 
political argument, but mm-hmm. I felt he played it honorable. I did too. And I felt like these, what, what I felt like was when they were having some of these conversations and I don't want to have people think that this is, this is stuff that went on for 10, 15 minutes at a time. It would maybe less than a minute here or there. It was more kind of like, this is kind of a relatable, this is a conversation that I'd either been involved with or been, been involved with or been privy to hear or something that happened at my Thanksgiving table. It's not anything that we haven't, you know, seen before. You know, I was in, a little surprised by it because coming into the film, there were some articles, some think pieces on, not think pieces, but there was, I, I remember reading a couple of reviews of this film to see how, how it would match up to what I thought it was going to be in the trailer. And a couple of writers, I remember saying that, hey, if you're not sure where Ryan Johnson stands politically, you're going to know after this. And I remember kind of rolling my eyes going, oh my God, are we going to get overly political in this film? Yeah, You know what I mean? Is it going to take... So I came in kind of expecting like this um, stick it to the right kind of film, and it wasn't. It's not the case at all. I mean, I don't think he's making judgments about that at all. I think he's, you know, if if, if anything, like I said before, he's he's more c- condemning uh, our uh, uh, certain people reveling in their ignorance or not right. even making, you know, taking the time to do basic research about things before they shoot off at the mouth. But I, I mean, there are definitely some political socio overtones, uh, socioeconomic overtones to this movie. But again, they don't hammer you over the head. It's very, in my mind, uh, it's the subtlety that's played out more so in certain shots and framing that, that kind of emphasize that more than anything that's overtly kind of talked about or in your face. I wouldn't say it and by any stretch of the min- min- uh, imagination that this is some kind of overt political uh, type. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there. It's just an enjoyable whodunit murder mystery that just happens to have those elements peppered in throughout. Another uh, genius touch, and there's a lot of genius touches. We've been kind of hitting on these. And like you said, there's almost too many to name. You know, if you were taking notes during this film, you'd have to just kind of throw down the pen and go, all right, I'm going to miss the movie if I keep writing down. Yep. Because it was like even every shot, I mean, not since, for me, some of Stanley Kubrick's films or Spike Lee's films, was I that in tune of what the director was doing. So many important shots. But one little touch that I liked was how, when they were talking about Marta, they kept mentioning how she has like a different home country, right? Like at one point, Don Johnson says like Costa Rica. Another time, they say she's from like Brazil. Like it was pretty much, there was like, three or four She's different Colombia. Latin American countries, which, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed the, you know, the, the stereotype of the stereotype here. Yeah. They don't care enough really to find out, Oh, well, they don't, she's <laughs> from some South American country, you know, Guatemala, you know, Guadalajara, well, they're all the same, right? You know, you right, gotta, right. You get that attitude, which it, it, at times is, it, it's so funny because it's, it shows like the, the, the veiled racism there, almost like the ignorant racism, but at the same time, it's very funny because it's, it's playing off of that and pointing out to how, you know, almost ridiculous that they keep changing what, what they think, what country that she, she comes from. Yeah. In this case. But, but you, 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 you said it perfectly when you talked about Ryan Johnson's direction in this and say, again, say, I hate to keep rehashing what, you know, the last Jedi, you can't come away from knives out and thinking that he's not, a top-notch director. Every single shot, every single scene has purpose, has form, has relevance, has connection to the overall flow of the story itself. Um, and you can credit that a lot. Um, you know, it this the direction uh, is only as good as the you know Steve Yedlin's cinematography, only as good as Nathan John or sorry um, Bob DeCassie's uh, editing. 
all those things play together. It's just like everybody is so in sync on every single level, whether it's that, you know, those perspectives I just mentioned or the music by Nathan Johnson or the acting performances. This just is gels so well. But Ryan, direct, Ryan Johnson's direction is just top notch in this film. And to kind of recap where you and I stood on Ryan, if you didn't listen to our very first Movie Jumps podcast, we broke Way down the last- back in January before this whole COVID-19 thing reared itself and all we had was the flu and diphtheria. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker was our uh, our debut pod and we kind of you and I were on the same page in terms of we both love the film but we admitted that we wanted more from Skywalker's character in terms of like that final like look at we got Vader whooping ass at the end of Rogue One yeah. we all let's admit we all kind of wanted that regardless of how you feel about this film we all wanted a similar scene with Luke Skywalker we hadn't yep. seen him in action in so many years, and we, we finally got the chance, and then we don't really get it. We see heroism on his part, but we don't get that incredible fourth-quarter Jordan, like, heroic scene. Other yep. than that, though, and this is I'm kind of recapping. Other than that, we loved what Ryan Johnson did. His creativity was like a, a beacon in The Last Jedi, and I think it all it's all coming out of the bottle in this film. You, you hit it on the head. There's just so much so many factors coming in here um so much nuance so many different characters and the fact that he was able to juggle this well and have it work um it's pretty pretty impressive do you have any quips about this do you have any um head scratchers anything that really kind of jumped out at you during the during the watch where you said eh, i don't know if i'm really buying this or not really sure why they did that Oh, and by the way, um, that about the Netflix thing. I think the reason why they, they didn't, I think they threw that in there on purpose. They didn't want profits from, you know, basically the book rights, right? Like movie yeah. rights, Netflix rights. Probably because yeah. then Michael Shannon would have had money and therefore he would have no purpose with yeah. the whole will reading. By the way, by Frank Oz. Nice yes, little, I did. Uh, I was, I was going to mention that if, if you weren't. Yeah, Frank Oz uh, with that little nice little uh, reading there. I noticed that right away. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Frank Oz. And then I looked it up. And I was like, yep, that's definitely Frank Oz. Um, Another big cameo I, in this, which we'll get to. No big head scratchers for me. What I will say that I just absolutely loved is this is the final shot of the film. Coffee where, you just, where you just see Anna Armas's character of Marta standing up on the balcony above everybody else and looking down at, you know, the whole Thromby family that was on the floor. And they all sorry, turn on, their on heads. The, on the ground, and they all turn their heads, and she just lifts that coffee cup that Harlan was holding at the beginning, or having at the beginning, of, you saw at the beginning of the movie that says, my house, my coffee. And I would just, I, and then it cuts to black, knives out, and I just had the biggest grin on my, my face. I was like, that is so perfect. And you're just like, boom, there it is. Yep. Slam dunk at the end. Don Johnson, we haven't really talked about. Man, really nice seeing him again. I watched uh, The Watchmen on Great, HBO. Right? Yeah. So really, good. Holy cow. The uh, the Dr. Manhattan twist was, that's one of the better twists that I can think of in the last, probably the best TV twist since, uh, I would say, the Red Wedding episode, Game of I Thrones. I did not expect the Watchmen uh, series that we got on HBO to be as slam dunk awesome as it was. But I, I love that um, John Johnson has had a bit of a comeback um, in the last couple of years, you know, in, in, in some small 
um, you know, movie roles and some other, you know, small TV roles. Um, he was great in a movie a couple of years ago that was a fantastic called Cold in July. If anyone's never seen that before, take a look. It's great. Um, but his character's great. He's he's in this. He's kind of that, you know, he's basically the gravy train husband, right? He 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 went through this whole pattern and position thinking. You know, he kind of goes along for the ride in this case. He's, I don't want to say the trophy husband, but he knows where his bread is buttered. You know, he knows he's supposed to be getting that um, certain amount of money and then inheritance when Thromby, when Harlan Thromby passes. Uh, and, you know, just to go ahead and be a dumbass and cheat on his wife like that. Um, you know, I had no sympathy for, for him either. And we got to talk about, you know, Christopher Plummer's character um, is, is great at, at composing mysteries because he can see through everybody's bullshit you know he's a good detective in in and of himself you know how the way that he basically finds these things and i just love the fact that his character's name uh harlan thromby the name was taken from a choose your own adventure book that uh -huh. ryan johnson read when he was a kid called who killed harlow thromby come it was on from 1981 yes oh, and not terrific. only that i found i I found out that the name, the title of the movie, obviously they reference it, you know, this is where the knives come out. And they, you know, their knives are present throughout the entire film, you know, even in that chair. He got it from the Radiohead song, uh, the 2001 Radiohead song called Knives Out, which really, it has nothing to do with the topic at hand or the movie or anything like that. I have friends that um, adore Radiohead, but I don't have a whole lot of, other than a little kid A back in college in the radio yeah. station. Uh, Everybody had kid A. Yeah, well, right. We That's like Kid A was in heavy rotation. You and I both worked at the point. You know it was what. <laughs> we we were spinning that disc a lot over there. Wicky, wicky, wicky. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's. I I thought that was cool. But yeah, John Johnson's character, I think, it, it has is really he's that stereotypical um kind of husband in this case. Uh, but he, he's great. Everybody adds something to this. It just it's a great it's a great gumbo. <laughs> George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt with the uh, cameo. Did you read about that? I just happened to notice it uh, today when I was look, doing some research that he had a uh, cameo as a voice. Um, I believe it was during like the cameo. podcast, right? Like at the beginning of the Marta's yes. like sister or something was like listening to the yes the crime pod. Yep. And, and uh, I didn't realize yeah. it during the watch. Like it didn't sound any, didn't, I don't me know neither. his voice well enough to. It would where it would jump out at me um you know he you know he obviously has some connection with the Dryan johnson he was starred in brick one of his earlier films he starred in um uh, looper um so that was kind of a nice little uh i, I didn't i didn't know this well supposedly he's been in like either. every one of ryan johnson's films and even i think he even had like a cameo in the last jedi if i'm not mistaken probably there were so there were so many people who had so many different cameos daniel craig was in uh, the Last Jedi. It's like a stormtrooper, right? I'm sorry, he was in the Force Awakens. Oh, that's he was right. Stormtrooper okay. that Ray that, that Ray plays the Jedi mind trick on. Um, from there, but I can't it, wait to see him reprise this role as Benoit Blanc. I can't tell you how much I just loved this character. That could be a weekly see, like that could be like a you know a NCIS type of throw him in there. Like I'm tired of the same old, same old. I mean, even Columbo. I thought it was pretty annoying where, especially what thing have you, that would, have we discussed this? What? Columbo. It drives, no. it drives me nuts. I, for the first time I watched a full episode and his episodes, by the way, are like <laughs> movies, it's like an hour and a half. Like the yeah. Columbo's were always like essentially movies. 
So I watched the first, first Columbo I actually sat and watched from beginning to end. Soup to nuts, as they say. Yeah. Uh, within the last couple of years, I really enjoyed it. I loved how, as a viewer, you see, and this is going to tie in, bear with me. I love how you see how the murder happens. And then it's a matter of how is Columbo going to solve the case? That's essentially like the flow of Columbo's as opposed to like other murder mysteries where, you know, as much as the detective at times, right? Like you don't know you're learning as they learn this time. It's Mm -hmm. different. But then it hit me that Columbo is pretty damn annoying with his, Oh yeah, one more thing. And he tries to be a little too slick and he's almost weaselly with all that. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Corey, one more thing. You mentioned that on Sunday night, you had macaroni and cheese for dinner. (laughs) But you how come to cheese? <laughs> cut the crap, Columbo. Just what are you asking? Like, what, what is it that you want to know? That, and it got to the point where I watched an episode. I watched another episode with my wife. Halfway through, we were rooting for the villain because we were so annoyed <laughs> at, like, Colum- at Peter Fox tactics. Not the case here with Blanc. Like, from the get-go, you want this guy to solve it. Yeah, and you almost feel like this – this was almost you could you could say it almost feels like it was ripped from uh, an actual book, even though it's, yeah. it's not. Um, and I think that's just a, a testament to to how how well written um, again that this script is and how well written this character is. Uh, and again, I'm just so psyched that we're going to see him ag- again at some point. That and I like so the detective. I mean, oh, go ahead. I was going to say I mean, this movie surprisingly made a hell of a lot of money. Uh, budget was only forty million dollars, which is pretty impressive considering the cast of you know the cast that was in this. There were some heavy hitters, especially Chris Evans, um, and it made forty million dollar budget made three hundred nine million dollars worldwide, and it was st- you know steadily in that top five for weeks at a time, but just because I, it had such good. I have to think to word it. of mouth helped elevate it. Had to have been because I don't think that many yeah. people were that you know cooked about. A freaking murder mystery, you know, in a in a mansion in New England. But I think word of mouth. I think just little things like dudes like you and I telling three or four buddies, you really got to see it. This is the real deal. I think what really started to, like you said, the word of mouth aspect and one person telling another person, the kind of snowballing. I really think what built momentum for this film is when it debuted at TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival, last uh, September. Um, a guy I used to work with at the Joe Blow website, Chris Bumbley, he, he's been there for 10 straight years, and he watched this, and his review was just stellar. He's like, this is the most fun you'll have at the movies all year, and I just remember feeling that bu- or hearing that buzz from then on out until the movie came out, and then even you know after the fact. Um, I thought that was – I think that had a lot of forward momentum. Um, and I just this, – this, this next thing that I learned uh, about A Knives Out, I saw this – a while a little while back just kind of blew my mind it's just how you know we've talked about how ryan johnson's fingerprints are all over this entire movie from like you said from soup to nuts his hands are just basically in every aspect whether it's the editing or the music or the cinematography it's all perfect even i found right down to the blu-ray cover because how about this for some happy horse shit you know how blu-ray covers often have that cardboard thing on the outside right so you slide out the plastic sure yeah, yeah. Actual container well the way that it's set up for the knives out blu-ray on the cardboard thing is that like it it there's a big kind of like circle cut out in the cardboard 
in the in the middle if you take the cardboard and flip it around and put it on backwards and you look at the back cover of the blu-ray the circle is right on chris evans character's ransom Ah, now that's so a nice it's, little it's, twist. It's a nice little touch to show Wait, you. Do you have it? Is that how you know? It. I I don't. I saw this on uh, uh on the internet. So somebody's like, somebody's like, is is something said something like, in case you didn't think that Ryan Johnson thought everything out perfectly, and then he just takes it off, flips it on back, puts it out down. I'm like, outstanding, mind blown. Mind blown. Yes, well done. Um, I, the special features have to be tremendous. I would love to hear. There's got to be like five or six commentaries. I would love to freaking check out. I want the one with just Ryan Jensen. It's got to be insane. Like all yeah. the little things. I would just love to sit down and, and peg questions at these guys. Like, all right, what'd you do here? Was this improvised? Yeah. Like, how much was improvised? How much was direct? And you got to, and you know, and you know from just like you and I have been reading about Hollywood for for decades now. When these guys got this script, when Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, pick your favorite actor in there, you know damn well when they got this script, three pages in, they were like, boom, I'm in. I'm yeah. all in. And, Had and, the great, and the great thing is, is that when they were reading the script um, and they were in the process of making the movie, they even interviewed some of the actors. They said, we tried to poke holes in Ryan Johnson's script. Like, we'd come up and say, what about this? And he's like, oh, well, this is explained with this. He's like, it was Teflon. Whatever we came up with, he had an, an explanation for that made perfect sense. Um, you know, and there's a reason that he got nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And honestly, listen. I forget that he oh, win it. No, Bong Joon-ho won for Parasite. And I tell you what, as great as Parasite was and as great as that script was, the Knives Out script is better. It has to be. I just started watching Parasite. Uh, off my voodoo? <laughs> off your voodoo account before falling asleep because idiot me put it on at like 11 p.m. at night after mm -hmm. a long day. So, as always, fall asleep after a half hour. There's just no way. I mean, I think that's, you know, not to hate on Parasites. I haven't really watched. This happens a lot with the Oscars. happens a lot with the Grammys. We pick like this kind of this dark horse, this like Cinderella story, and we kind of ride it. And not saying that Parasite didn't deserve all the hype, but mm -hmm. I think this is a case where everybody got so sucked into the movie. Like, I don't, yep. I don't understand the logic on how this doesn't win for screenplay. I just don't yeah, get it. it it you know and having seen this it absolutely should have and don't get me wrong Parasite was was a Parasite was a great movie um I thought it was my third favorite film of, of 2019 but points um, for difficulty here you gotta reward the bold yeah you do um but yeah the script is 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 just dynamite um it should have won but let's I'm just hoping we get just as good a script uh, when we have the follow up to to Knives Out and we get some more Benoit Blanc real quick who would be your if not Blanc and you could pick one of these characters in this film for a sequel, who would you pick? Uh, I would bring back Marta as like maybe some, uh, you know, as like her, uh, his sidekick. She was almost kind of his Watson in, in some ways. I'd love to see the sequel actually be set in uh, Benoit Blanc's, um, uh, like, I don't want to say hometown, but home area, like in the South, like in Ooh, Louis yeah. Louisiana, Louisiana or wherever bayou. he's from. Yeah. The Bayou. Final thoughts on this. I'm going to call it a modern classic in my top 10 of the decade. Just loved it. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, and it, it's just so much, such a blast. And I had a blast talking about it. And now I think it's time that we addressed uh, some two major 
losses this past week in in the film industry and in, uh in uh, both joel schumacher and, and ian home schumacher uh i feel bad because we were just ripping on him in the last podcast and how he you know screwed up tim burton's kind of dark noir-esque batman films but he's been getting credit for really doing well with that third film even though everybody agrees that that fourth one batman and robin uh was pretty much a a toilet bowl of a superhero film but we got it lost boys one of my all-time favorite films which we got to do a somebody's got to do a damn podcast on Halloween, so much October. We're doing that one. That's definitely uh, the one when we do October. No, it's weird. His uh, movies have nothing to do with each other. There's not like a whole lot of tie-ins. I'm sure there's some think pieces on why, how there's some like themes. I'm not really buying it. His movies are all over the damn board. But he knows how to make a buck at the box office, or he knew how to make yeah. a buck at the box office. He he did, you know, long career, um, eighty years old, gets a lot of shit for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, <laughs> uh, but to but to, to to but to and I've given him shit, and he does deserve shit for those films. However, he has made some amazing freaking movies. I mean, Falling Down is excellent. Lost Boys, you mentioned. Uh, Flatliners is a good film. There's a, a great movie he made called Tigerland that was a, a Vietnam uh, pick with Colin Farrell that was was excellent. He made two amazing John Grisham adaptations in A Time to Kill uh, and The Client. Also, a really dark, twisted one um, in uh, uh, with Nicolas Cage with Eight Millimeter. Um, but I mean, this guy. I mean, he has such an interesting career. I mean, he wrote Phone, uh, he wrote Bo- Phone Booth. I really enjoyed. I saw that at the Underrated Strand gem. in Brockport underrated gem really good uh, but i mean he wrote the whiz uh was one of the i mean he was an he has been an openly gay person in hollywood his entire career and made no bones about it um you know that that's you know back when it wasn't really okay to be out and proud um but i think like i was i gotta tell you i was so pissed you know as much as i've shit on him before for batman and robin and batman and batman forever those other he's made some other movies the ones that i mentioned that are go so far and above what he did with the, with the bad you know how badly he did with those batman movies freaking variety said when it said joel schumacher director of batman movies dies i'm like dude that's like saying orson wells voice of unicron from the transformers movie dies i mean you don't associate the two worst movies that he, well, arguably the two worst movies that he ever did was somebody who's made some uh, fantastic films that stand the test of time. Um, He's a tough one to headline. I would almost say, gosh, I know. Like, I, I mean, for me, I'd say Lost Boys, Falling Down, Batman director, Joel Schumacher dies. That would be it for me. Yeah. Um, you can mention Batman, but don't have that be like the sole headline. I mean, I don't right, think that right. he, that's the movie he wants to be remembered for right, by any right. stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, a great, great director. And Ian Holm, um, I'm surprised ones. by um, his resume. I was kind of surprised by other than Alien and Lord of the Rings. I didn't know a whole lot else on his resume, but he's another guy who's kind of been in the game for decades one of the great character actors of all time uh you know chariots of fire he played the uh what's his name sam musabini i think is is the name was nominated for academy award for that had had some great little roles in um some terry gilliam films from the 80s and time bandits and also brazil um you know worked with with kenneth uh, Branagh. 
in in a couple different films with his, including I believe it was Hamlet and also uh, uh, Frankenstein. You know, he had he, obviously he'll he'll always be for me. He'll be Bilbo. He'll be Bilbo Baggins, and he'll be Ash from Alien. Ditto. But uh, some great some great other films. He did. I mean, he played uh, Vito Cornelius in the underrated. That's another one we got to do a pod on. Is the element uh, and crazy just batshit. Uh, was he in there? In a lot of ways. Yeah, he was in that. Um, it was in Ratatouille. In Who did he play um, in Fifth Element? Uh, he was Vito Cornelius. He was like the the, the priest. Uh, oh the yes. End. Okay. Yep. So I mean, you know, he was in. He played Jack the Ripper, and when he was in From From Hell. Um, so there's a lot of different, you know, things he's done over the years uh, that have just. He was in uh, the Tarzan movie with Christopher Lambert. Um, just all these little things that he, it's one of those like, Hey, he's, he's the ultimate, Oh, that guy. Yeah. I know him. I recognize, uh, that face. Um, but he, he's, he, he was so charismatic, um, brought such kind of a subtlety to a lot of his roles. Um, 88 years old, I know long full life died of, uh, of Parkinson's, I believe. Um, an interesting story that uh, was Peter Jackson, his director, uh, in Lord of the Rings and also the subsequent Hobbit movies, uh, penned uh, a great farewell letter to him on, on social media. And come to find out that they actually sat down to a dinner because um, he had asked him, he wanted him to come back to play Bilbo again uh, for the Hobbit films. And he says, I got some bad news. I got to tell you, I, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. I really can't travel anymore. I can't do it. I can't remember my lines very well. Uh, and then throughout the, the course of the night, they, they just kind of had this fire that they talked back and forth and says like, you know what? No, we're going to make, we're going to find a way to make this work. And they actually, once all the scenes and everything were filmed in New Zealand, they took the entire set, took it to England, built it there near where he lived and shot his scenes for the Hobbit right there. Oh, wow. Which I thought was just so impressive. What a testament to what a friendship between those two people, between director um, and actor, but uh, Ian Holm will, severely be missed um as well joel schumacher do you want to give us a little uh teaser on what we're tackling next week where are you going shane no well a little kind of a teaser for that but uh, <laughs> we ladies and gentlemen are going to be examining what i consider to be the second best uh, comic book adaptation or superhero film of all time and that is the excellent 2017 uh james mangold's logan uh, starring uh, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart. Um, I know that I'm going to get a chance. I haven't watched it in a, probably about a year and a half or so, but I'll, I'll, I'll watch it again. Great movie. I know you got a chance, I believe, earlier within the last month or so to, to sit down and watch it, but this is, this should be a good one to review. Uh, movie Chumps, episode 16, calling it a close, Knives Out. That's Corey Cook. I'm Luke Mayo. We'll see you next time for a little Logan. And remember, kids, as always, all movies are subjective. Your mileage may vary. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.